0: Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving the confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250, the apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500, the Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000, and the Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org, and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses, or call Lynn, 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club.
1: Wherever those girls went, they brought something back with them.
2: The body, and blood of Jesus Christ.
1: like this oh, me? no but there are people out there who have.
3: you have some experience with possession
2: yes more than I'd like
1: I believe you can help get our girls back
2: exorcism is a ritual every culture every religion they all use different methods it's going to take all of them. Don't be scared. We've met before. Mother.
0: That's the trailer for the movie The Exorcist Believer, trying to put lightning back in the bottle, a cult classic film that many people remember as kind of the quintessence of horror movies, especially horror movies having to do with the devil. A planned trilogy beginning with The Exorcist Believer but is it measuring up to the original welcome back to issues etc i'm todd wilkin joining us to review the movie the exorcist believer pastor ted geese he has a bachelor's degree in fine arts he's pastor of mount olive lutheran church in regina saskatchewan canada and he teaches a course for concordia lutheran theological seminary titled a lutheran approach to art media and film ted welcome back thanks todd how would you compare and contrast this latest iteration of the Exorcist franchise with the original?
3: Okay, so, dear listeners, just hang on to your seats for a second. I'm going to contrast it in this way. The original Exorcist movie for all of its blasphemous language and horrific scenes and challenging material was still in the category, let's say, of a Christian film in terms of the the general content of everything overall. Uh, This film is not that, so you could contrast it in that way. I mean, like the the original film, at the end of it, uh, Good Triumphs Over Evil, sorry to spoil it for people, I'm not recommending the original Exorcist to anyone particularly. I'm not also recommending this film to anyone either. People will go see this one, maybe for nostalgic reasons, sort of, if they have memories of the previous film that maybe they saw years and years and years ago. This is just a different animal and we'll unpack that as we go. Like all of the blasphemy in the original film was within the uh, confines of Christianity, let's say, and the demonic It seemed to be a real thing, but the focus was revolving around Christianity, Roman Catholicism specifically, but within Christianity. And and as we go, we'll we'll see how that all kind of unfolds. And then also just quality. You could contrast the quality of these two films. The original film is, it's just qualitatively better overall in terms of the filmmaking itself.
0: We should say something here about the fact that this is likely going to lose a boatload of money because even before the production went into full swing costing I don't know what it cost to make but they had already spent
3: 400 million dollars to secure the filming rights. Yeah, some people might remember that like 2017 or something like that there was a uh, like a Netflix series or something that was exorcist related there was a couple seasons of that. I watched the first season and I didn't finish watching the second season but it kind of sidesteps all of that. The whole franchise kind of basically, the rights to it were purchased. They were purchased by uh, Blumhouse, uh, which they do lots of horror films. In fact, you know, like they're quite well-known for their horror films. They do all sorts of things, but the horror films they're well-known for. So that uh, gives a certain amount of credibility to all of it. Universal Pictures is kind of like the parent company. Blumhouse Productions is kind of inside... The wheelhouse of all of that so the idea was is that they were going to purchase the the rights to this and then they were going to make a trilogy so in essence this is the first of what's going to be three films and even if this film loses money they're probably going to make at least one if not the next two films to try to recoup all of that so they're also the production company Blumhouse that just made the five nights in Freddy's at, at Freddy's movie that was in theaters this last weekend which, by the way, I'm not. I've got zero plans to go see that. Which is also another kind of a horror film. So this is the thing. They they already kind of had an uphill battle. I think that because of the product itself, I think that they thought that it was a bit of a slam dunk. But um, yeah, they had a lot of way a way to go just to get going. So as of the moment, and this opened earlier in October. As of the moment, its worldwide gross is 120 million dollars plus but that's um, a far cry from the starting point of purchasing the whole franchise for 400 plus million dollars so yeah this is a kind of a complicated thing for that company and they're gonna have to work hard to get their money back out of it for their investors and then also moving ahead forward it's it's not the smash success hit that I think they were anticipating.
0: It's also slated, as you said, the first of a trilogy, which they're mm. contractually bound to make whether or not it makes any money. So if this first one left you so deeply unimpressed, usually sequels don't exceed the initial attempt
3: in a trilogy. Usually they don't. I wasn't even going to go see this film. I'm, the reason I went and saw it was because it was requested by listeners. I was going to skip it. Maybe, maybe watch it later but uh, I was not too keen on it and after seeing this like I'm really not that keen on it so the um, one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that the second film that's slated for this trilogy is called The Exorcist Deceiver this one is The Exorcist Believer just kind of poking around a little bit a writing credit crops up for that film, which isn't in this current film, and that the writing credit is William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original book that was then turned into a film. He wrote the screenplay for the 1973 film, The Exorcist. He also wrote and directed The Exorcist 3 from 1990, which is, apart from the original Exorcist, is uh, for the people who appreciate these kinds of films, they see that as an important film in this franchise. The rest of them are lackluster, if not terrible. So that's kind of, maybe some people are going to go, oh, well, you know, he's listed as a, as a writer for it. Maybe there's something that can be done with this. Now, William Peter Blatty is deceased, right? So 2017, he, he died, but he's listed as an upcoming project on IMDB, the internet movie database, that this next film is going to be built off of stuff that he wrote. So essentially, that might seem promising to, uh, to people, might, might get them interested in getting involved in, in watching more of this. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's really gone off on a, a tangent that I think that they're going to lose the audience that they might have already had. And I don't know if they, it clearly doesn't look like they're collecting or picking up a new audience.
0: So give us a little background on the franchise itself.
3: Well, like I said, William Peter Blatty wrote the original book, uh, The Exorcist, and he himself heard about an actual case that occurred of possession that required exorcism while he was a student at Georgetown University. Then he went on his way in his life and did other things. He worked um, for the Air Force at one point in Lebanon. He has a, a personal Lebanese background himself and and uh, while he was doing that, he was uh, looking at propaganda related material from the communists that was kind of being circulated in Lebanon. And that of course is going to connect him with security apparatus and all of that kind of stuff. So he was doing all of that stuff. And then he kind of became the writer of comedies, which is a really kind of a weird place to start when it comes to where he ended up. So in modern, like, I mean, recently, you can think of a guy like Jordan Peele. So Jordan Peele started out as a comedian, and then he went on to make films like *Nope* and Us and Get Out, which are also in this horror film kind of genre. There's other examples of this. Like there was a recent Joker movie where the director had made a bachelor party comedy kind of a film. And then he went and switched gears to like something really dark. So this happens sometimes the people who know how to make you laugh, you know, maybe also know how to make you jump out of your skin. So, you know, this is the the case with this William Peter Blatty. So he was the writer of the original story. And, you know, he was grappling with ideas of like the problem of of evil, and how that interrelates with faith itself. And the director that got linked to the project of the original Exorcist film... And listen, without the original Exorcist film, this film doesn't exist. Like, it's all predicated on the fact that that original film was very successful at the time. And that director, he was probably... He really kind of came to prominence because of the film he made called The French Connection, which is about the heroin trade kind of coming through France to New York City. So it was kind of a gritty police procedural kind of international crime sort of a a movie it was from 1971 so it had gene hackman and roy schneider in it and you know his star was like rising as a director he himself was kind of agnostic towards the material itself and he's got a kind of a very interesting bizarre career he certainly kind of got downgraded in 1977 he had had a film called sorcerer which didn't have a sorcerer in it and it was actually kind of the follow-up film after The Exorcist, which was a gigantic success. And the reason that you don't really know about this film, most listeners I imagine, is because it came out the same weekend as the original Star Wars film and got clobbered. It showed a real shift in the audience appetite out in the theaters and this very tense film that was set in South America and was based off of a remake of a French film called The Wages of Fear. About guys transporting a truck full of like nitroglycerin and explosives and stuff through very dangerous terrain, it was gritty. And it was like just the polar opposite of the original Star Wars film. And really, after that, he continued to make films, but he what didn't have that same rising star kind of thing going on for him as a director. In recent years, you know, he has now just recently died. But uh, recently, he made a film called The Devil and Father Armoth from 2017, which that film is about a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, who Gabriel Armoth, who is a an exorcist. In fact, there was this Gabriel Armoth character was also the uh, recent, let's say, very loosely inspiration for the Russell Crowe film called The Pope's Exorcist that came out. I mean, very, super duper loosely based. So he did have like a continued interest in this, Uh, William Friedkin did, the director, and he'd come back to this topic near the end of his life again to look at this. But like these guys are the guys that are involved originally for making the film. And there's a lot more that could be dug into with a film like The Exorcist, that original film. And at some point, maybe if, if people are interested, we can look at it again in more detail because there's a lot you can dig into to think about that original film itself. But suffice it to say at this point for today that it really grabbed people's imagination. It had a way of, you know, even that original Exorcist film kind of sparking a, a thought to maybe return to their faith in some cases. Recently, I, I just saw the uh, Haunting in Venice film, Canada Brana uh, adaptation of an Agatha Christie book, which is actually very good, by the way, if people are interested in Agatha Christie and they're wondering if they should see it. It's better than the first two of these films that Kenneth Branagh made. But nestled into that film is a question that uh, Hercule Poirot asks, you know, about like, well, if you could prove that there's such a thing as ghosts or that maybe then I could start to believe that there's such a thing as God. Like this is part of the, the thing that's going on in that, you know, the Haunting in Venice film that just came out. A similar sort of question was mulling around in the, in the heads of a lot of people who went and saw the original Exorcist film. And the thought that it got them thinking about the question of evil and things like the devil and demonic possession and, and exorcism got the ball rolling for some people to kind of crack their minds open a bit further from a lot of the kind of modernist, materialist, sort of like there's no such thing as the supernatural Nietzschean God is dead and you killed him kind of bleakness that was part and parcel of the early 1970s. So that's how that all kind of got, made it into the the kind of thing that people might want to revisit.
0: Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We are reviewing the movie The Exorcist Believer and we'll get into the plot of the film next.
1: like we always do Saturday night at the moon hits. who cares what picture you see In
0: 1521 at the Diet of Worms Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings Luther responded unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error I cannot and will not recant Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand,
2: Issues Etc. and you. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue
0: in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth,
2: and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for
0: others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others.
2: And a life of service is a life well lived. Truth, Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. For your
3: next family vacation, consider Our Beach House. A charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at siestakeyrentalgenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.
1: Criticism.
2: I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology in practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382.
0: We are reviewing the movie The Exorcist Believer. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Simply discussing the distress can help immensely. During the discussion, you can show that you understand and accept it. This might not result in less confusion. and will not cause the distress to disappear. It will, however, ease the distress by helping the person realize it's not strange, embarrassing, or shameful. That's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. Call Concordia Publishing House and order Martin Luther on Mental Health, 1-800-325-3040, or you can browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Martin Luther, On Mental Health, The Issues, Etc., Book of the
3: Month for October. Pastor Geese, what is the plot of this film? So, in the first film, it was one girl who was possessed, but, you know, hey, it's... 2023. So you can't just have one girl that's possessed. So in this film, it's two girls that are possessed. So they've upped the ante when it comes to that. And essentially uh, what you have is it's really focused on, even though there's two girls and even though there's like two families involved, it's not really the story of two families. So this uh, David Gordon Green, the director of this, he's got a writing credit on this uh, new film as well. They really focus in on just the one, the one family more, moreover. So this is the fielding family and there's Victor and Serena fielding. And you start off the the whole film with them, like in Port-au-Prince, Katie taking photographs, kind of touring around and uh, she's pregnant. And in the midst of everything, she has a, she ends up in, in a kind of a a spot where there's a voodoo priestess, kind of the Santeria kind of stuff. And she receives a blessing for her child. And most people who see the film myself, certainly I I look at that and I go, oh, well, there's the bad thing that precipitates all of the rest of what's about to take place because I know what movie I'm sitting in, in the theater. So in the midst of everything, there's an earthquake. She has an accident on a staircase. And he's stuck with the decision, do I keep my wife or do I keep the child? And then you, you speed forward 13 years and he's a single father. His wife has died. The the daughter survived and he's raising the daughter by himself. So the daughter has a friend at school, the friend and her go into the woods and they, they kind of, it's something in the kind of category of, like a Ouija board kind of mm, light a candle, ask questions of the dead kind of, here's a, you know, a pendant to swing around and these kinds of things. And because they're, they're getting involved in this kind of occult ritual kind of a thing, she wants to talk to her mother, the daughter does, and then they're missing for three days. There's a police investigation, there's a search party. And when they come back, that's when all the problems happen. And as a result of all of that, whatever happened while they were away, now they're starting to display demonic possession. And then that's something that's hard to grapple with because the father has already been grappling with his relationship with God due to the death of his wife and the rest of the story kind of unfolds. That by the way, is the strongest part of the film is the part I just described. After that, the wheels start kind of falling off the whole thing and it becomes you know, really ludicrous and it it really kind of goes south from there. But suffice it to say that there is an exorcism that happens and, um, certain individuals from the original film become kind of part of the story too. So you do get from the original film, Ellen Bernstein, She played Chris McNeil, the mother of Reagan. So she shows up, Alan Bernstein does. And then eventually by the end of it, Linda Blair does have a brief cameo as Reagan McNeil from the original film. And she also is in the second of these films, which is very bad film. But that I'm assuming is intended to set things up for the next film in this trilogy. So this is kind of the direction that it takes. In a nutshell, I mean, I realize that by talking about some of those characters, I've kind of spoiled a couple things for people, but again, this is not a recommendation. And if you've seen the film, you'll know kind of some of the twists and turns that take place along the way. Is it scary? No, I did not find it scary. Like, it is rated R in the United States, it's rated 13. Plus in Quebec and 14A and the rest of Canada. And it does have some unpleasant language and, you know, some, you know, visuals that are horror film kind of related stuff. It does try to go for some jump scares and things of that nature. It really doesn't, it kind of loses steam in terms of like the scary part of it pretty quickly. And one of the areas where it really begins to lose, like for me, it lost all complete anything that would make it even remotely scary, once it became this really kind of crazy, ecumenical, religious, syncretistic kind of mess of a movie. At every turn that it could kind of go in that way, it did. And it just was completely diluted and became, from a spiritual point of view and a practical, real-world point of view, completely ridiculous.
0: Pastor Ted Geese is our guest reviewing the movie The Exorcist Believer. I'm going to go into a little more detail on that ecumenical and syncretistic tone in this film and see how it plays into the story of the exorcism after this.
2: your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race and Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception, all life is precious from womb to tomb, and every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, He created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman, there's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools.
2: Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org.
0: Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We're reviewing the movie, The Exorcist Believer. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. In about 15 minutes, it's day two of Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Jordan Sakmalis joins us from Greece to discuss his journey from evangelicalism to Lutheranism. Ted, before the break, you were talking about the ecumenical and syncretistic tone of this film, the elements of this film. How do they figure in the story of this exorcism?
3: Okay, so like, this can all fall under the category of pastoral concerns for myself, right? So already you're dealing with the occult related stuff. Like it's already in there. So like nobody needs any encouragement towards that. There's enough of this stuff swirling around the world as as it is. I mean, we're recording this on October 31st and a lot of people have a messed up perspective about Anything to do with all the Eve of All Saints Day, for instance. So the occult-related stuff in there is sad and not something that needs, anyone needs encouragement towards, obviously. Beyond that, the film does everything it can do, like I was saying, to kind of veer off into this very, I would say, kind of, it's really in the spiritual, not religious category of things. So when you finally get to Chris McNeil, the the mother of Reagan, and she's in the film, she'll say like, you know, she has a particular confrontation with the demonic in it. And she'll say something to the effect of, you know, in the name of all holy beings, in the name of my daughter, release this child. It's like, well, in the original film, the power of Christ compels you, right? Like this is now we're like in the, in the name of all holy beings this is deep into the area of not just ecumenicism, but like complete religious syncretism or, you know, pantheistic kind of view of the spiritual world. This is, doesn't fit into any specifically Christian point of view. And even if it was just Christian, let's say, you know, in the original film, it was like two Catholic priests and the actual thing that it was based on, like the, the original account, you know, it wasn't even Roman Catholics at the beginning. It, it, they they kind of came in part way through, but it was just them, right? And then like the, the the whole thing was the one of the priests kind of had spiritual doubts in his life. The other one didn't, or his, his spiritual problems were of a different caliber, but they were like a different kind of a, a nature, but they themselves were both Roman Catholic priests. It was a Roman Catholic exorcism. That's what it was. In the original film, in this film, one of the girls is clearly a Methodist, and when she becomes, this is the friend, when she becomes possessed, she is in the Methodist church on a Sunday, and she starts to say stuff like the body and the blood, the body and the blood, and she's like, you know, kind of freaking out, and it's this demonic kind of a thing going on. Well, this is going to upset a lot of people with Methodist ideas about Holy Communion. So it's meant to be goading the Methodists. Well, eventually what happens? Well, there's a Methodist pastor who's there for the exorcism. There's a a Pentecostal guy who's from his church is there. That guy has got some lady who does, quote unquote, root work, which is kind of this. Now we're veering into the whole Santeria, you know, voodoo kind of like outside of Christian kind of uh, religious system stuff, she's there. Then there's uh, a woman who was supposed to be a nun, but then didn't become a nun, a Roman Catholic nun, because of uh, an abortion that she had and things that were going on in her life at that time, pregnancy, but she's there too. And she's there in place of the Roman Catholic priest who he can't go in and actually be a participant in it because he doesn't have permission to go in and also, it's becoming this ecumenical kind of free-for-all in there as well. So you get all these different kind of Christian, non-Christian people all in there, and they get this encouragement from the mother from the original film, Chris, who says it's going to take all of these people to do this. It's like it takes a village to, to, to do the exorcism, and you need to have all of these different stripes of faith all in the room together to do it together. So it it really becomes like a, a, just a, on the one hand, kind of an ecumenical prayer day kind of thing. On the other hand, it also then is turning into this religious syncretistic kind of a thing because it has non-Christian stuff that's also there. It's like if the World Day of Prayer did an exorcism for you, essentially. So by that point in the film, I've got like, there's nothing, it's I'm like checked out completely and I, now I'm just ticking through the time and I'm looking at it all very dispassionately. This is this is where where I'm at watching it because as a you know a Lutheran dear listener you know we particularly confessional Lutherans they have a history in the LCMs in Lutheran Church Canada of avoiding things that would smack of or be part and parcel of unionism. So unionism would be if you had all of these different groups all together, especially if it's in a Christian context. But that's, that's what it it looks like. And this is not, not a great thing. So eventually the Roman Catholic priest does come in, into the room because the father goes, he's outside praying in his car and the father knocks on the window and says the fight's inside. So he does eventually come inside where he's pretty much unceremoniously, well, I mean, he does a little bit of stuff and then his neck gets broken and he falls to the ground and he's dead which I think is supposed to make you scared because, oh, the Roman Catholic priests were the one that helped out in the first film, the two guys, and here he he, he just dies. But already at that point, it's no longer a scary movie, or at least it wasn't for me at that point. So this didn't, didn't do what the desired effect was, I think, and I think that's part of the problem of the whole film. So let's talk about the general theme that runs through
0: all of these movies, and that is, the nature of demonic evil. The movies usually get it about one fourth right and then the rest of it completely wrong. What's the truth about the demonic evil and what is true to try and find something here? What is true in this film where it accurately depicts demonic evil if it does?
3: Well, I don't think it does. I mean, it's all just smoke and mirrors and parlor tricks. Like the whole thing is just intended to be like I don't think that the people who made the film know, like they don't it doesn't seem like they've thought much about evil. Like they've made something that is probably very safe from a very spiritually liberal point of view. And at one point, you know, they they kind of you know, spout some platitude and then then they and then it's followed up by, well, you know, that's all God or any God wants for us, etc. So it it's through and through, just driving as hard and as fast away from Christ and Christ crucified as you can go. So we know that that sin, death, the devil, that these things, death itself, were all defeated at the cross. And right now the devil is roaming around. He's very angry at that defeat and he's making mischief and causing suffering and torment to people in in the world. There was a scene that was cut out of the original film in which there was some dialogue between the two priests and Father Karras had said, what's the point to all of this? And Father Marin, the more wise of the two, says that, you know, like the little girl's not the target. It's all of the people in the house, the demonic is you know, trying to make everyone feel vile and animalistic and putrid. And then the, as a result of that, they start to think that if there is a God, he couldn't possibly love us. So like, that's a pretty astute kind of a thought and it didn't find find its way into the final film, but it's in the book. If, if people went to back to look at the book that William Peter Blatty wrote. I believe it's there, you know, at any rate, that's kind of almost like a thesis statement. So they like in this film, like the way it's all set up, if, if this was to be true at all, like that whole group of people, they're all up the creek without a paddle because really Jesus is gets lip service here and there in the film is not taken seriously, actually <laughs> at all and won't be a comfort to anyone so and listen you shouldn't be finding your spiritual comfort from a movie like the exorcist believer go to your church like go to your go to your pastor if you've got things that are bothering you when it comes to the demonic don't forget that there's like a spiritual world that swirls around us and some of the things that we see as quite mundane can actually be you know, have a de- demonic underpinning, like I, and I, like I'm not talking about like, well, you know, every stone there's a demon under it or something like that. But I mean, th- this is a real part of our existence, and and you need to not, you know, like, don't don't forget about that. At the same time, remember who has defeated it, and you know, when the last day comes, all of this is sorted out permanently, finally, forever. You know, in the meantime, as we are beset by these kinds of things in our lives or in the lives of the people around us. If it's in the lives of the people around us, then it's an opportunity for us to say, return to the Lord, your God for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If it's in your own life, it's an opportunity to turn to the cross of Christ and his victory over the devil and the demonic. And, and remember that he, he's the one who does all the heavy lifting. know, and not to believe the lies that are spewed at you by the demonic that only wants you to walk away from Christ. These are the things that I think people could think about whether or not they actually go to see the film, because maybe you're just aware that this film exists, but it's always when these things crop up, it's always a good time to think about the realities of the victory over the demonic and where that victory happened and where that victory is for you. And that's the cross of christ so if this kind of went
0: to the wall on religious syncretism essentially saying that while the demonic may be evil in some sort of cartoonish sense the answers found not only in christ but actually in a melange of all the religions joining forces like the marvel characters against the
3: villain what are your expectations for the next two films in this trilogy. Well, listen, it would be an amazing thing if that was shown to all be just a bunch of false gobbledygook, right? Like, and if it actually settled into something that was, you know, good, right, and salutary in terms of the truth, that would be great. But I don't have a expectation of that because now I would said at the beginning that it was patently not Christian And I gave some example to that. Now I'm just going to put the coup de grace on the whole thing for everybody listening. So what is it in the end that actually saves the one girl? How is it that she's saved? It was the voodoo priestess, Santeria, Port-au-Prince, Haitian blessing that was put on the pregnant woman and the child, that pagan outside of Christianity, syncretistic, blessing was the thing that saved her. And that's what the movie says. So in the case of this film, the salvation is from outside of the Christian faith, or at the very least a muddled up, completely syncretistically devalued. And something that, that is like itself would be an evil is the place of salvation in it. So this gets back to Jesus's question. Can like the devil cast the devil out? Like, what is this all about? That that we're looking at here, so uh, yeah, I like uh, it was it was a movie that I saw. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be seeing it again at any point in the future, and uh, I'm not excited about the prospect of watching more of these. That's for sure. Pastor
0: Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read his movie reviews at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thank you. Thank you. When we come back, Reformation Week continues here on Issues Etc. And on this Tuesday, October the 31st, Reformation Day, we'll hear the story of Jordan Tsakmalis, Path to Lutheranism from Evangelicalism. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today.
1: 500 years
2: before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving. Change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety.
0: Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahema Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF, and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, you're helping LCMS supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org
2: education and edification you're listening to issues etc the biblical worldview conference is saturday november 4th in chicago this year's theme is for such a time as this discernment boldness and compassion brian wolf miller john bombaro and others will be speaking on gender solid parenting wokeism in schools transgender pronouns and sharing christ in a woke culture For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time.